the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. We are here for another week uh, doing this series on a book entitled Homecoming, How the Mystery of the New Covenant brings both Jew and Gentile back to Abba Father. And uh, we left off um, doing chapter 11 of this book entitled Solving the Mysterious Construction Project of One New Man and Messiah. And uh, the whole point of um, studying this particular chapter was to ask the question, well, there's a lot of construction language used in Ephesians chapter 2 when you read it, and God's trying to form something very special, very unique. And um, it has to do with two groups of people. And the two groups of people are um, the Hebrew side of the equation, Jewish side of the equation, along with the uh, Gentile side of the equation to make what uh, the King James calls one new man and what the... uh, Complete Jewish Bible calls one new humanity uh, because Messiah Jesus is um, breaking down the wall of separation, keeping these two groups apart. And um, the reason that uh, Ephesians, written by Paul, the apostle, goes on chapter after chapter to explain that what God is building and creating and bringing these two camps together— Because they both have a mutual father, and they both gain access to their mutual father through um, their Messiah, Uh, we don't use that terminology as much. We we say Jesus our Savior, Jesus our Lord. They talk more in terms of their Messiah, their Deliverer, okay? And his his, uh, Jewish name, um, Jesus' Jewish name is Yeshua, which means salvation, uh, HaMashiach. Ha means the, and Mashiach is Messiah. But we're talking about the same individual whose role is to bring us both individually and collectively back to Father God. And why is that a threat? Well, it's a threat because as these two camps come together, it's a threat to the enemy. It's a threat to uh, what the uh, Hebrews call HaSatan. Ha means the, Satan means adversary. The adversary, we know him as uh, Satan, the devil, Lucifer. He has several names. The reason that's such a threat is because um, basically the process of building this uh, construction project um, with Jesus as the cornerstone, uh, I'm talking about now language that you can find in Ephesians chapter 2, the Hebrew prophets and the Hebrew uh, apostles being the foundation. And then um, as they go forth with that Hebrew gospel in the New Testament uh, about the Jewish Messiah, who happens to be a Jewish king of the Jews, he was king of the Jews, he is king of the Jews, and he will return to the earth, not uh, not to San Diego, not to London, not to uh, New York, not to the Hague, not to Rome. He's coming back to a very particular place 
in Jerusalem, and actually he's coming back to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, all in fulfillment of prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, which talks about the era in which we live, which is the what the Jews call the Brit Hadashah, which means the New Testament, um, the New Covenant. And so this is a um, really special uh, realization, a revelation that's going on of what Paul called a mystery. And a mystery is uh, simply finding out about um, what God has planned and finding this out in our reality, in our world, if you will. And so here are these two groups coming together, acknowledging that they both have a mutual father, recognizing that they both have a uh, deliverer slash savior slash Lord slash Messiah who brings them to the father. And um, we talked a lot about that in past uh, shows. You can check them out on the KPraise uh, podcast um, section uh, when you go to kpraise.com, or you can uh, check it out on my media page um, when you go to simple tru- www.simpletruthministries, that's a plural, simpletruthministries.net. I'm not a .com, I'm not a .org, I'm a .net. And we have a media page, and all of the uh, previous shows for the last year, approximately, uh, regarding so many topics that you typically don't hear about in Gentile churches. And so um, as this building project takes place, uh, we're beginning to realize that there's some really unique things that are happening that we have not seen in the past. You don't see Gentiles going to Messianic Jewish congregations in the past very often, but it's happening now. In fact, uh, there is one that I attend, and I'm going to say probably uh, 85 to 90 percent of the uh, makeup of the congregation is Gentile. They're not Jewish. That's not necessarily universally uh, true, but um, from what I understand, talking to a lot of Messianic Jewish rabbis, uh, that is a um, a trend. And um, and why is that? Well, I'm not going to go into that right now, but just to refer very very quickly, um, how is all Israel saved? Paul wrote, writes about this uh, in three chapters in Romans, chapters nine chapter 10 and chapter 11. You ought to read those. They're very, very enlightening because it talks about things that are going on right now, right here and right now in this time frame. And um, my take on it is that the, we as wild branches, as Gentiles being grafted onto the original uh, olive tree of Israel, um, is basically um, a process that... Jesus talked about this, Paul talked about this, you know, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then all of Israel will be saved. Israel is God's time clock. If you wonder why there's such hate against uh, Jews and so much anti-Semitism and so much persecution in the history of the church uh, and the world against Jewish people, um, everything from um, the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 A.D. by Titus, uh, going all the way to um, the expulsions of the Jews um, in the uh, 15th century, um, and the pogroms that took place um, in the late 1800s, early 19th century, um, uh, especially in Eastern Europe and Russia, of course, the Holocaust that we saw in the 1930s and 40s with, um, with Germany, uh, Nazi Germany. And, um, and then you see the array of enemies that uh, surround the new nation of Israel, um, which um, recently celebrated its 75th year. And um, still they have enemies, surrounded by enemies. And why is that? Well, Satan is fully aware that God is, I'm sorry, Israel is God's time clock as to the rollout of 
prophetical utterances um, that go back into the uh, Old Testament, uh, made by Jewish prophets, which are coming true in this day. And um, it's a good way to evangelize. A lot of times people say, well, why should I you know, believe in your Jesus? Why should I believe in your way of thinking? Well, you know, if you know your scripture well enough, you take them back to the, uh, to the rollout, to the fulfillment of um, prophecies that are found in the Jewish Testament, in the uh, First Covenant, what we call the Old Testament. And, um, and the Jews call the Tanakh. That's their word to describe the same thing. And when you go to um, the prophecies and you talk about the mathematical odds of some of the things that were prophesied coming to pass, coming to reality, coming to actually be rolled out and fulfilled, and then you sit down and say, hey, can we get a calculator out? Let's calculate when this prophecy was made and what are the odds that these prophecies would roll out just the way they were described? And let's see if we can figure out, because a lot of these prophecies are actually not just timed to the era, but they're timed often, oftentimes to the specific day, especially if you've read Jonathan Kahn's books about how prophecy is fulfilled. He's, Jonathan, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn has written an array of books talking about fulfilled prophecy. And it's absolutely mind-blowing. And it's really fun because once you learn maybe 13, 14, 15 verses, you can start to sit down with people and say, let's calculate what are the odds that things rolled out just the way they did. It's a great evangelism tool. And people can't deny that. Uh, the, The odds when you calculate them mathematically are off the charts. Mind blowing stuff to people who are hearing this for the first time. So I urge you to learn what these uh, Jewish prophecies about, especially about the life and times of Messiah Jesus, and um, and also the end times. And so uh, people are interested in that. People um, want to know. But but going back to the original question, why is there such uh, hate and um, and animus towards the Jewish people? Um, it's because Satan knows that his day is is coming for judgment. And God has a time clock. And we Gentiles who use a Gregorian calendar, which comes from you know the era of Pope Gregory when we disconnected from our Hebrew roots, that Gregorian calendar is not um, plugged in or set with the rollout of God's um, forecast, of God's fulfilled prophecy. You got to use the Hebrew calendar. You've got to understand that if you don't use that as the basis to talk about prophetic um, fulfillments, you're wasting your time because God didn't shift gears when we as Gentiles foolishly uh, disconnected from our Hebrew roots and our Hebrew foundation. So going back to this, why did you write a whole chapter of this book? Um, called Solving the Mysterious Construction Project of One New Man and Messiah, um, it's because it's happening in our day. I mean, I've been with the local congregation, Messianic uh, Jewish congregation, uh, for I just celebrated my seventh year. And, you know, if as a Catholic kid growing up or as a Protestant individual, I've been a Protestant uh, going on 47, 48 years, almost half a century, and why am I in a Messianic Jewish congregation? It's because I'm getting the rest of the story. It's because I'm, I was tired of a partial gospel uh, in Gentile churches that um, left me ans- asking a lot of questions that uh, the pastors and the teachers didn't have answers for readily. They just didn't. And I've always been that way in the learning process. I, I, in the learning process for me, I always want to know the why. I always want to know the wherefore. I also always want to know, is what I believe um, rational? Is what I believe makes sense? And, you know, what I've learned over the years is that I got partial answers that were uh, incomplete at best and turned out as I, you know, dis- went and looked and researched, I said, you know, a lot of the stuff that I was being taught as a Catholic and as a Protestant, it just isn't true. 
because it wasn't accurate. I don't want to go into those right now. I mean, if you listen to my old shows, you can see I did have gone into several of these issues. But right now we're trying to figure out, um, is God on the move in a very unique way, very different way, by bringing Jew and Gentile together in these times? And um, if you want to know why there's been such persecution against the Jews, if you were Satan and you could blow up the time clock that set your ultimate judgment day. And if you think, if I blew up the timepiece, if I blew up and eliminated the timepiece by killing, eliminating all of the Hebrew people, all of the Jewish people through persecutions and, and trials and um, genocide, well then, in my demented mind as, as Satan, I would think I won't be judged because I just destroyed the God's time clock. But Satan always ends up shooting himself in the foot and um, by trying to eliminate uh, European Jewry in, in the 30s and 40s during World War II with the uh, Holocaust, all that did was that the survivors that came out of the camps, when they went back to their homes— um, in in Germany and in, in Eastern Europe and and uh, Russia and Ukraine, they found out that the homes were either destroyed or were taken over uh, by um, Gentile people, and they had no place to go. The survivors had no place to go, and where did they go? They went back to what uh, England called Palestine, and there was a you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book Exodus by, I think it's Otto Preminger, and the movie that came out in the early 60s, fascinating um, movie on and book on how God fulfilled prophecy, um, many prophecies of when and how he was going to bring the scattered all over the earth after the destruction of the second temple in 70 AD by Titus, and bringing back to fulfill covenant promises of land given originally to the progeny of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And God doesn't, he's a covenant God. He doesn't forget his promises. He keeps his promises. And to see the promise of of the promised land as it's called in the First Testament, being given back to the Jewish people. This has never, ever happened in human history where a deposed people you know, were scattered all over the globe and they come back to form their own independent country um, with a Jewish identity, with a Jewish purpose to continue on who they are in the book of scriptures. So um, pretty, pretty amazing stuff when you think we're living in this era. And, and what God is doing now by bringing Jew and Gentile together, it's becoming a force. It's becoming a force, um, in, a sword in God's hand to, to deliver a very powerful message that God's covenant plan, God's covenant blueprint that started in Genesis 12 uh, with Abraham and continued to Genesis 15 with Abraham and then then Genesis 17 again with Abraham and then I believe it's Genesis 26 and then Genesis 28 to uh, Isaac and Jacob and it goes on that this seed this of this Messiah this this human slash son of God he was both son of man and Son of God simultaneously, was going to come to fulfill even going all the way back to uh, the Adamic covenant in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. And it's amazing to read Scripture um, that it is consistent and it doesn't change because God doesn't change. His blueprint remains the same. He has not changed his mind. He is a covenant-keeping God because covenants are serious business with God. And we Gentiles don't really have an appreciation um, how serious covenants are. Now, of course, we understand that 
when you take communion, Jesus Christ is talking about he's the fulfillment of the new covenant, the new covenant in his, in his blood. We take the bread and then we take, then we take the wine, and he says, you know, do this in remembrance of me um, to f- firm up, to solidify, to fulfill the new covenant. And, and it says twice in the, in the um, book of prophecy of uh, Isaiah. It says in Isaiah 42, and I believe in Isaiah, again, 49. Father God's talking to his son, Jesus, Yeshua, and he's saying, you are the new covenant. You're the covenant. And so we have this Messiah who we know him as the son of God. The Gentiles overemphasized the fact that he was son of God, but the Jews understood he also had a, di- a different title, another title, an additional title, which was Son of Man. And I think I've mentioned this on earlier shows. I think it's like if you compare the number of times Jesus in the New Testament is called uh, Son of God versus uh, Son of Man, it's way, way out of proportion. Son of Man is used way more often. Uh, to describe Jesus as his name, as his identity, as his title, uh, uh, compared to the few times that he's called the Son of God. I think it's like 12 to 82 or 84, but it's amazing. And that was messaging by God the Father to Satan to say, I am using these um, this Jewish covenant that I made with Abraham to say your seed will will be the one that is going to be the man god or god man however you want to describe jesus i mean the theologians you know in the early centuries were debating over do you call him very god a very god do you call him very man a very man and they decided you know what it's really both he's both he's very god a very god and very man a very man well that very man again was messaging that um, god's going to return mankind uh, to his original inheritance of the material creation that we see in Genesis 1 and that we see again in Genesis 2 and that he never changed his mind. And so this bringing of Jew and Gentile together is rebuilding uh, and affirming the unity that uh, God has intended to say, I picked the Jewish people to be a prototype, an example, if you will, of how to have a relationship with God. Why is that important? Because we lost our relationship with God in Genesis chapter 3. That's what we lost. If you lose your relationship with God, what do you experience? What do you have when you lose your relationship with God? Well, John seventeen three says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And if you don't know God and you don't have a relationship with God and you've been, um, you're not in union with God, you don't have God's likeness in you, you are not uh, imaging off uh, to the world God's likeness in you. What do you have? What do you call that when you're separated from God? Well, the opposite of life that we see in John seventeen three. if you know God relationally, the opposite is death. And that's the way the options are always explained in the Jewish Testament. Choose you this day. Do you want life? In other words, knowing God and showing that you know him by obeying him and keeping his commandments. Or do you want the opposite? And the opposite is um, death, eternal death, because you're separated from God. Join to God in union with God, obeying God, living with God, being attached to God is life. The opposite is death. And that's what Moses uh, t- you know, laid out to the to the Jewish people in his swan song in Deuteronomy chapter thirty. He says, "Hey, I'm I'm leaving. I can't. I'm not crossing over into the promised land. But I put before you these options: life and good, contrasted with their opposites, which is death and evil. So." So that's really why this construction project of bringing Jew and Gentile is so critical in this hour, because what God is doing by bringing Jew and Gentile together, he's emphasizing there's only one kingdom. There aren't two Israels. There aren't, um, there's not a Gentile Israel and a Jewish Israel. There's one Israel. And you can see that in Ephesians 2 when Paul says, 
You know, when you come to know God, when the blood of Christ brings you near, says draws you near at Gentiles, what are you becoming a member of? If, you know, I, I don't, never heard this preached in a Gentile church, and yet this is New Testament. Uh, Ephesus, the church of Ephesus was mostly Gentiles. And, and here we have a, a rabbi, Paul, explaining to Gentiles what God is doing by bringing Jew and Gentile t- together. He says, you, when you come to Christ being brought near to the blood, being born again, if you will, you become a member of, you ready for this? The commonwealth of Israel. I mean, you tell people that in Gentile, Gentile congregations, and they look at you like you just flew in from Mars or Venus, and they went, what? And I said, it's New Testament. It's New Testament. It's all about what God's rebuilding for inheriting back our lost earth, our lost material creation on earth that we lost in Genesis chapter 3. You guys ready for this? Put on your seatbelts. We'll see you on the other side of the break. God bless. Welcome back. So we've been talking about this mysterious construction project that we see in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, and Ephesians 5. And um, so I wanted to pick up, so after all the component parts are brought together in this new construction project that God is supernaturally doing through his son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, through his son, Miss Yeshua HaMashiach is his name, our Messiah, our collective Messiah, bringing us back to the Father, bringing us back to earth, bringing us back to our inheritance of earth, making us kings and priests that we see uh, in Revelations 20, in Revelations um, chapter uh, 5, and bringing us back full circle to our inheritance of earth, to the kingdom that God has prepared for us. And and so after we see this construction project coming together in Ephesians 2, we've talked about this in the past. Ephesians 3 talks about the reason uh, that all this is happening is so that Satan and his fallen angels can be demonstrated the many-sided wisdom of God. In other words, God's saying, hey, I never changed my mind on my original blueprint of covenant promises and covenant compacts that I made with um, uh, with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, and they impact, these covenants impact all of the people of the nations. Well, who? what's their title? The Hebrews are called Jews. But what's the title of the people of the nations? They're called Gentiles. And all of these Jewish um, compacts and covenants were made for our Gentile benefit, ultimately, to get to know God through the Jewish example. And so that's what Ephesians 2 is all about, and that's what Ephesians 3 is all about. It's basically saying, um, you see this joint body, these joint heirs, these joint people who will sh- who are going to be sharing with our Jewish uh, brethren, all that God has promised to his chosen people. And the rollout of this mystery has been kept hidden for ages, is designed so that the authorities and the rulers in the second heavens, that is, principalities and powers, that's the phraseology that's used in Ephesians chapter 3, 9 through 11, so that the principalities and the powers in the heavens will learn just how broad and without limit is the manifold wisdom of Father God as creator. As evidenced by the creation of this new messianic community, and what does that mean? Well, recognizing that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah, bringing them back to the Father, as well as our Savior, bringing us back to the Father, our being Gentile. Uh, This messianic community comprised of both Jews and Gentiles, and that's in Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. And then as we've discovered or talked about in um, past shows, especially the show last week, uh, in Ephesians 4, um, the process of growing up from infancy to maturity, of changing from the, an infant to an adult, 
in this body of Messiah, of several component parts of which include all of us, um, the point of that maturation process, that sanctification process, is to have so that we will grow up into him who is the head as our Messiah. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. In, in other words, here is the goal. It says, we will come to unity that results from the trusting and knowing the Messiah, the Son of God, at full manhood, at the standard of maturity and perfection set by the Messiah. And this is how the body grows, matures, and builds itself up in love. And so what's that all about? Well, you have to say in the same chapter, Ephesians 4, you say, well, the whole point of this is to take this now unified body and to create this new man in Messiah Jesus, which was created according to God. Now, you ready for this? In true righteousness and holiness. That's where this is headed, in true righteousness and holiness, according to the New King James Version of Ephesians 4.24. Well, that's a, mes- that's a message to the enemy, saying um, righteousness, as people learn that obeying God brings righteousness, and we'll have some verses for that here today, obeying God brings righteousness, which in the long run, is supposed to produce holiness. There's a verse. Why is that important? There's a verse. I'm going to give it to you right now. It's in Hebrews. I believe it's uh, chapter, chapter 12, verse 14. If you're saying, well, holiness is no big deal. I'm saved by grace, and I can still continue to sin. Well, Hebrews 12, 14 weighs in on that. Um, It says, without holiness, no one will see God. Wow. So maybe we ought to get back to the Bible and figure out that God's construction project is leading to something. It's going someplace. If the goal is union with God, Where does it say that? Well, John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me, except through me. Well, that's the goal, is to have union with the Father. That's John 14.3. Check it out. I'm sorry, John 14.6. Uh, That's John 14.6 or 14.3. Let me look it up real quick. I think it's John 14.6. And it's important that you look at these verses on your own because we've been taught that's different things. Yeah, it is John 14.6. I am the way, I am the truth, and the li- I am the life. I'm reading from the New King James here. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus just identified the goal. The goal is to get union back to God. Well, that isn't, I mean, that's very different than what we were taught to say, well, we just want to die and go to heaven. That's why Jesus came. And we've said in past shows several times, I'm not going to go into it now, but I've yet to find a verse that says the reason or the purpose that Jesus came to earth was so that when we die, we get to go to heaven. It doesn't say that once. Not a single time. And yet that's what we preach in our Gentile churches. And I'm sorry. If something is inaccurate or if something is partially true, um, then it actually becomes false. That's not why Jesus came. Life is defined in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. Look it up, folks. Please check these verses out. It'll change your life. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's eternal life. And we talked about Listen to my show last week on 
using the words over, relationally know God. I mean, with your heart, not your mind knowing about God, learning facts and figures about God. No, 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 no. This is experientially knowing God in your heart. That's eternal life. And we said if eternal life is experientially and relationally knowing God, when can you begin to experience eternal life? Do I have to wait till I die? No. It can start immediately right here and right now. That's how powerful this kingdom message is. It is very different from what we were taught as Catholics and Protestants. I'm sorry. It's a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a message that's focused on God's intent from the very beginning. It's as back to the Bible hour. And you can't hand out a Bible and tell people only read the last third, which is the New Testament. If we do that, I'm sorry, we are telling at best a partial truth, at best. If we don't explain the Scripture in its entirety, in fact, aren't we told by Paul to preach the whole counsel of God, W-H-O-L-E, preach the whole counsel of God? Because if we leave that part out of knowing God is life, knowing relationally God is life, we've missed the entire point. People accept Christ all the time when they go to these um, evangelistic outreaches, and they don't repent. They don't change the way they think. That's what repent means. It doesn't mean just, I'm sorry for sin, and I, now I can receive forgiveness. It doesn't mean that. Repent means, listen, to change the way we think. Well, we need to think about what we've been taught in our Gentile experience. And I don't care whether it was Catholic. I don't care whether it was the multi-denominational Protestant. It doesn't matter. We haven't taught an accurate presentation of what the Scripture explains as to the goal. The goal is Union with God. Look at John 14, um, 21. People say, what do you, where do you mean union with God? Well, look at this. He who has my commandments, this is Jesus at the Last Supper, and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's not talking about heaven. How about two verses later? Go to John fourteen twenty three. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. See how, how important obedience is? You're not going to have a relationship with God if we don't keep his word. Now look at, look at the second part of 14, 23 in John. And my, and my Father will love him. So it's not all about Jesus. Jesus is the bridge. He's the road. He's the way to the Father. And my Father will love him, in John 14, 23. Listen. And we, plural, capital W, we will come to him. Are you ready for this? And make our home with him. Make our home with him. That has nothing to do with dying and going to a place called heaven. So check this out. Uh, go to John 17, 20, 20. John 17, 20. Listen to how Jesus is praying. This is still the, the Last Supper. I do not pray for these alone, referring to the Jewish apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's the Gentiles who later will come to know Christ through their word talking about what the Jewish apostles were going to start to preach that we see in the Acts uh, church, in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and, and, and continuing. Now look at, when I say union with God is the goal, check this out in verse 21 of John 17, um, 
John 17, that they may all be one. That's talking about Jew and Gentile coming together. That's what we've been talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4, that they may all be one as you, Father, you ready for this, are in me. Now, Colossians tells tells us that. It says, in him, referring to, to Christ, it says, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, in his body. Okay? So this prayer in John 17, 21 shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Uh, Jesus told Philip, when Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, you've been with me all this time, and you don't know the Father? He says, when you're looking at me, Philip, I'm paraphrasing here, you're seeing the Father. You're hearing the Father. You're experiencing the Father because he's in me. Now check this out in John 17, 21. That's a confirmation of what Jesus told Philip when he says, show me the Father. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Now that's union with God. Now listen to the prayer where it goes from here. Now we're going to get included. You ready for this? Seatbelt's mandatory. That they also may be one in us. Didn't say with. Didn't say nearby. It didn't say, you know, up in heaven. It's talking about a relational connection, an experiential connection of relationship between us and God, which by definition under John 17, 3 is eternal life. That they also may be one in us. Who's Jesus praying to? He's praying to the Father. Who's Jesus talking about? The these and those of verse 20. That they also may be one in us. Who's, who's they? The Jewish and the Gentile. Together, may also be one in us. You see why Satan wants to prevent this and keep us divided? Now, with what purpose in mind are we to be in God and they are in us? Okay, here it is, the last part of John seventeen twenty one: That the world may believe. Believe what? That you sent me. You know, what do we evangelize with? Don't we evangelize all the time with um, John 3.16? You see that all over the place? Have you ever really studied John 3.16? Well, it ties right into what what we just finished, so that the world may believe. This oneness in God, this union with God, is so that the world may believe. So check out what we evangelize with all the time. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's not talking about heaven and hell. It's talking about life and death. Let me read that verse to you out of the... uh, out of the Complete Jewish Bible by David Stearns. Let me read that to you because... Get a little Jewish perspective on this New Testament verse that we use so much. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only and unique Son so that everyone, it doesn't say who believes in him. It says something else. It says so that everyone who trusts in him may have eternal life. Instead of being utterly destroyed. So that's just another way of saying, so that they shall not perish. But, I, but isn't it interesting that the New King James says, who, everyone who believes in him, and the complete Jewish Bible says, no, everyone who trusts in him. Wow. Trust. I mean, belief you can have in your mind about facts. Do you believe these facts or not? Do you think they're accurate or not? Trust doesn't talk about your mind. Trust talks about your heart. It talks about your emotions. It talks about your soul. 
It talks about relationship. Do you trust in him? If you trust in him, you will have eternal life, which is knowing God, John 17, 3, rather than being separated from him and being utterly destroyed, as the Jewish Bible says, or as the New King James says, shall not perish, which means to die. You see how this is so radically different when you include the Jewish perspective, the Jewish way of looking at this. I mean, I've said this before, you know, in in earlier shows. Folks, the Bible is a Jewish written document of 66 books by 40 authors and at least 39 39 of the 40 authors were not Gentiles. We're not people of the nations. The 39 were Jewish. They were Hebrew. And we have to understand the context of what we're reading in the Scripture. I think I've used this example before, but it it really does pertain. If you want to learn about, um, let's just pick a country, French culture and French cuisine and French history and French music and, you know, everything, French literature. You, and then um, you go over to Paris, and the first day of, of foreign language French class, you're going to learn how to speak the language so you can talk to the people and understand who they are, get to know them, get to know why they wrote what they wrote in you know, their literature, in their politics, in their way of looking at the world. And then the instructor passes out to you a Japanese dictionary. Um, that's an incongruent non sequitur. It's like, what just happened? Why did you give me this Japanese dictionary when I have flown over to Paris, France? I'm going to spend a summer here, and I'm going to learn everything French. And then you're going to raise your hand probably and ask the question, excuse me, why do I have this Japanese dictionary? Either I'm in the wrong class or I'm in the wrong country or I don't have the correct teacher. What's going on? And that would be a natural question that you would want to ask in that very confusing situation. Like I said, it's incoherent what just happened. It's incongruous. It doesn't make any sense. And so um, you really need to assess why it's so important that we don't just read the last third of a book that we say is so wonderful as we hand it out to everybody. It's called the Holy Bible, but it has two covenants in it the original covenants, and the new covenant, which is Jesus. Jesus as the new covenant, Yeshua as the new covenant, is the fulfillment of everything that is in the first covenant. That's where the terms of the covenant are listed. That's where the goal of the whole making the covenant is explained. And if we don't understand why it was necessary to make a new covenant, which didn't nullify the earlier covenants. It actually fulfilled because one was built upon the other, and they are still in effect. They're all like a ladder. And so if we just take the Scripture out of its Jewish context with a Gentile mindset, how do you study prophecy by using a Gentile calendar? All of the prophets in the First Testament were Jewish. They were Hebrews. They were operating on God's calendar, which still remains the Hebrew calendar, not the Gregorian calendar, named after Pope Gregory. That's not the way it works, folks. I just hope I'm getting across to say, 
when we study this scripture, we'd better understand what God's plan and blueprint involved. Without the, I'm going to use this phrase, without the guts of the plan, without the, the purpose and the whole point of the plan, of the blueprint, we are going around with partial truths, which in essence, because it is a partial truth, ends up being not a truth. And that's why when we are saying true righteousness is what this Ephesians chapter 4, one new man and Messiah going from infancy to adulthood, from uh, immaturity to maturity in Messiah, Jesus. We have to know that it's all to produce what the Scripture says in Ephesians 4.24, true righteousness and holiness. Now, if you say, well, why is that a big deal? Because if God is the goal, if the, is, as we saw in John 14, this show, and John 17, union with God is the goal, then how in the world, if Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it says, if God's the goal, you won't see God. You won't know God. You won't, you won't even meet up with God because without holiness, says Hebrews 12, 14, you will not even see the point of the Judeo-Christian walk. You won't even see God, it says. Wow. Maybe we ought to learn why God's building this construction program. Wow. I'll leave it there, and we will come back, and we will explore the next step in this construction project that God is building between Jew and Gentile. Hope you have a ton, a whole lot of Simple Truth moments this week. See you next time. God bless. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.